Welcome to the Web Flowers podcast. This week, I'm talking with Grace Walker, who's a freelance designer living in Calgary, Canada. Grace specializes in design and web flow development for small and medium-sized businesses. But first, a word of thanks. Octopus Do, that's octopus.do, is a fast and clean site mapper tool. Create your website map, add notes, specify page content, and use color schemes to improve your sitemap design or content planning. That's octopus.do. Hey, Grace, welcome to Webflowers. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. What's your favorite flower? My favorite flower are lilacs. I grew up with lilacs in my backyard at my parents' house. I have them in my yard now. The winter in Calgary is very dark and bleak and cold. <laughs> and in the springtime, when the leaves start to come out, the lilacs bloom all around the city and it's just truly the best feeling in the entire world and every spring I just I love that and it reminds me of lilacs because they are the big flower that that comes out then so yeah just lots of lots of happy happy memories with lilacs fantastic fantastic yeah and you like spending a lot of time out oh. you're a cyclist Yes, I'm a, I'm a cyclist and a runner. The running is a little bit newer than the cycling, but that's that's kind of the primary reason I moved back to Calgary. I, I went to university in Toronto and came back because of the cycling and the mountains and the house that, that we're in right now. We're really close to a, a beautiful running trail. So it's a nice balance from all of my screen time to have hobbies that are very much outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what kind of what kind of cycling is it? Uh, hardcore up the hills. I'm primarily road cycling. We do a lot of city riding in the summer, just because that's where we live. But in the summertime, I also try to go out every Monday for what I call Mountain Mondays. My partner and I usually both have work off of that day, and I'm freelance, right. so I can take it off whenever I like. And we have Mountain Mondays, where every Monday we go ride our bikes in the mountains. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and presumably it's fairly empty there because at the weekend it's all been, uh, everyone's cleared out. Yeah. For, for Mondays Monday. are quite nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the mountains, it's, it's Banff National Park. So if you're familiar with North America, it's, it's always busy in the summer, but right. it's a little bit less busy on Mondays. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So talk about the weather and the darkness and the, and the, the light of summer. It sort of brings me nicely <laughs> to, to what I, what I wanted to talk to you about today, first of all. There are two topics, but first of all, I want to talk to you about mood boards. Do yes. I know that you're, you're just, your mood boards are just exquisite. They're amazing. But oh, do you, you think that they change during the seasons? Do you think you do oh, different mood boards in winter than you do in summer? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I would hope not, but probably. <laughs> I, I mean, just there's wonder. probably... I mean... <laughs> There's influences to everything that you do. So obviously yeah. the weather is going to impact your design abilities and design outcomes to some extent, but I'm primarily trying to influence my mood boards with research, with brand personas, with other kind of associations. So I hope that they're not too influenced by the weather. Otherwise my winter clients might be a little bit dreary, but... <laughs> <laughs> So, so well, tell us how you how you build a mood board then, because I I I watched I watched uh, you did a thing on Facebook, and I'll put a link in the show notes, 
little talk on the on the SEO Webflow Facebook page back in October, I think it was. And and I was just blown away by these things. So can you just sort of explain your process, how it comes, where, where it all comes from? And then I want you to talk about, okay, you've got a mood board, but how does that translate into what a design looks like? Definitely. So I think mood boards are really important for any design when I'm starting to just set the tone of what I want to do. So essentially what a mood board is, is if you're not familiar, is a, a visual representation of the tone and the style, the color, photography of, of how you want a brand to look. It's not something that's super refined, but it is something that you want to kind of get little flavors here and there of what you want the end outcome to look like. So a mood board happens at the beginning of a project. It's usually after I've done a kickoff with a client. Sometimes a mood board is based on existing brand elements. If I'm working with a brand that already has a logo and a color palette, but maybe we're just diving deeper into the look and feel. Other times it's starting from scratch and maybe developing two or three mood boards for two or three different directions if they don't have anything to start with yet. So okay. when I'm creating a mood board, I'm, I'm sourcing illustration, typography, colors, photography from like all places around the internet. I'm basically creating a composition that has the the vibe or the look that I, I want to bring to the final website. That's that's interesting that you say the word composition, because it that's that's something I hadn't thought of, but that's exactly what you do. You're creating a, a kind of finished product. They're so beautiful that you could actually sell that as a as a work of art or maybe even an NFT. But it's <laughs> it's it just I haven't thought about that, but it's a, it's it is in a, in and of itself a finished thing, isn't it? It sometimes is. I used to spend a lot more time on mood boards, like days and days and days, and right. well, perhaps not that long. But I would spend days on a mood board, and it would be, it really would be this beautiful thing. And I kind of realized through time that there's a certain point where the mood board has served its purpose, and you don't need to keep developing that because that's not the end product. Sure. If if you have kind of the general look and feel down, it's a good place to stop because you need to move forward with other things. But I mean, if you have the time, creating mood boards is just really fun. <laughs> so you've got your mood board, then you say you've got to move on. What's next? Yeah. So typically once I have a mood board and I've kind of established the general look and feel of what I'm trying to do, I will do sketches of the wireframe of a website and try to consider how those mood board elements could be put into the actual web design itself. So once I'm jumping on screen, what that looks like is implementing the color, trying out the typography, trying to echo the layout from some of the mood board elements into the web design. And it's it's really kind of a fluid process. There's no <laughs> formula for how do you translate a mood board into a web design. It's really just, right. does this feel like the same kind of feeling as the mood board? Does this feel like how I want the brand to feel? Does this feel like what the client has described to me of how they want to be seen? And just kind of checking in with those kind of questions as I'm going. So you, you talked about the wireframes. Where, where have they come from? Yeah, so wireframes, everybody, I feel like everybody does wireframes differently. But for me, a wireframe is usually a sketch and it's usually a very quick sketch to map out the elements of a web page. 
before I'm spending too much time online. I basically want to say, here's the header, here are the different sections, here's a layout that I could use for each yep. to give myself a starting point. So I'm not just jumping onto a blank screen and thinking, oh gosh, what do I do now? I have <laughs> at least a little bit of a, a brief roadmap. And that's also informed by a site map and Right. So, so there you've got those, those elements, you've got a nav bar, you, you know, that you're going to have a hero section of some sort, you're going to have a button, you're going to have, um, decorative elements maybe. So those, those are the things that you start then to design with that mood board in the back of your head or the back of your mind all the, all the way through. Yeah. So you talked earlier about making maybe two or three mood boards for, for one client, if you don't have branding already. How does that work? And how do you make one sort of direction the way that you want to go? Do you show all of these to your clients and, and let them pick or, or, or what? Yeah, so it kind of depends on the client, but typically what I'm doing is I keep mood boards for myself. There are some clients who want to see them and if they express interest in that, I'm, I'm happy to share, but I'm, I'm typically creating the mood boards for myself as a direction and a guide. And then from there, I'll take those mood boards and put them into a homepage design. So that's what I'm showing a client is if, if we're doing a branding project as well and establishing that look and feel for two different directions, I'll present them with two complete homepage designs to kind of pick from so that they can see their brand and company expressed in, in two different ways. And typically okay. I try to pull those apart based on like color palette and darkness and lightness and tone of the photography and all of those kind of things. Yeah. 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 Okay. Nice. Nice. Now I was looking at a couple of your websites and, uh, most of them have the, the nav across the top, but one of them certainly has it along the side on the left. Why? What makes you decide this needs to be in a different place? Yeah, so I think it's appropriate to kind of break those conventions for a website or for a brand when it fits with their persona and their their kind of attributes. So I think you're referring to OpSign, yeah. but I've done this on other websites as well. Sure. And it's 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 something nice to do to kind of show that they're maybe a little bit unconventional or they're forward thinking or kind of any attribute just because they're breaking the status quo of, of what they're doing. Obviously that has functionality implications. So you don't want to do that for a site that is like purely informational or something that is maybe really dependent on SEO and people needing fast information because you're kind of hiding things behind a, a hamburger nav. But if you have a brand that, that wants to be a little bit more experimental, wants to be a little bit unconventional, doing unconventional things with your navigation or expected elements can be a nice way yeah. to kind of subtly bring that in yeah i mean we often see that left hand nav with with things like wikis and so i wondered if there was maybe some something there with that particular design but but no i mean it it, it does make sense that and i and i'm really pleased that you mentioned that 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 sort of seo and ease of use that you are actually hiding things behind that hamburger menu and stuff i think it's important that as as designers and developers we just kind of keep all of these things in mind there are so many things to think about in the whole process. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's not even funny, you know, and there's people with, you know, teams and teams and teams of people doing what, what you on your own are doing. It's, it's quite amazing. Okay. <laughs> so we'll take a little break and we'll be back after this. Octopus do that's octopus.do. 
is a fast and clean site mapper tool. Create your website map, add notes, specify page content, and use color schemes to improve your sitemap design or content planning. That's octopus.do. Welcome back to Webflowers. This week I'm talking with Grace Walker, who's a freelance designer from Calgary in Canada. So Grace, uh, before the break, you were talking about how precise and measured you are as a person. And you've been tweeting recently about how, how you track your time, you see how many hours you spend why? Why do you why do you do it? Why do you do it in so much detail? Yeah, I think there's just a part of my personality that gets a lot of joy from organization and having things be in their nice little buckets. And so that part of my personality, like if you were to come to my house, my house reflects that as well. Everything's very neat and tidy and organized. And so that comes into my work as well with time tracking and project management. And the yeah, I guess the reason why I do that is just I feel joy from it. And it also just helps me feel a lot less anxiety about my work to know where everything is and how much time I'm spending <laughs> that everything is taken care of. Okay. I can, I can, I can accept the anxiety bit, but the joy it's, how is it joyful to be so organized and know exactly how many minutes you spent on a particular project? I think it ties into this concept of, of having a calm life and knowing okay. that everything is taken care of and, and everything else. So I, I like that idea. I'm, I strive for minimalism in a lot of things that I do. And I think that that ties into the joy of organization because you know where everything is, everything's taken care of. There's, there's not just kind of a mental mess around you. And I know that some right. people thrive in that and they want to have a million different things going on all the time. But for me, that's quite overwhelming. So okay. that part of my life comes into work. It comes into my house. It comes into my personality. It's, it's all over. Yeah, I mean the listeners at home can't see. I I can see your your walls, and they are pure white. There are some <laughs> really interesting little nooks and crannies and and shelves and things, and and there is one painting. And yes. the painting is it a lighthouse? It's a prairie photograph. So it's a photograph of a green okay. silo on a prairie. Ah, it's a green silo. So. Okay, I, I, it could yeah. have been a yeah, but but. 99% of it is sky and is it's sky. mostly <laughs> mostly white sky with cloud beautiful but but yeah extremely minimalist so yeah i can i can i can see where that's coming from fair enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so what 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 tools do you use to help yourself be organized yeah so i have tools that I use that have habit, but I'm also open to exploring new ones. And I'm really interested in how other people organize themselves. But the tools that I primarily use are Asana for project management. So that's where all of my projects live, all of my timelines, all of my tasks. And I'm mostly just using the calendar view of Asana to see when tasks are due. They're all color coded. It, it looks like a smarty box. It's very fun. And <laughs> then for time track. box. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the that's the colorful part of my life is my Asana dashboard. And then for time tracking, I'm using Harvest. It's a really popular software in Canada and North America. Mostly it's used for larger teams for time tracking. And I used it at a previous position that I was at and really enjoyed the interface. So I just kept using that when I went freelance and okay. it's been great. And then I can do my invoicing through Harvest as well. So those are my two primary okay. organization tools. And then I also, every few days, I'll write out a new to-do list on a piece of grid paper. I have a, a grid paper pad that sits in front of my keyboard every day. 
And so that's where I write out my like daily tasks and, and what needs to get done because okay. not all of those tasks are always on Asana. Why, why aren't they all on Asana? Because it's some now. things they're like reply to so-and-so's email or send out this thing to someone. And so those tasks aren't, they're not big enough, like deliverables for me to put in my Asana. So I like to just write them down. Okay. Do you, do you strive for inbox zero? I do. Yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I love, I love having inbox zero. It's not always achievable, but I don't have so many clients or so many things going on that it's not a possibility for me. I am a team of one, so it's not like I have people constantly emailing me with things like that. So I am very much an inbox zero person. That does not translate to my Slack channels. I'm not a Slack zero person. A lot of my Slack channels are quite messy, but my, my email inbox is very organized. And now you, you mentioned Slacks, but you haven't mentioned Slack before. How do you use Slack? What do you use it for? Can you just tell us what it is? I think, I think a lot of people won't even know what Slack is. Yeah, so Slack is a messaging platform that you can organize chats by channel and have various kind of teams going at one time per per channel. So I use Slack for a number of different things. There's there's Webflow Slacks that I'm a part of so that other Webflow designers and Webflow experts can chat with one another on different things. And I'm also integrated into a few of my clients' Slack channels. So I have clients that have like internal marketing teams. And so I'm in their Slack so they can just easily and openly communicate with me there. But it really depends on the clients and if that's part of their workflow already, if I'm integrated into that. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, this year you've, you've evidently done a lot of building of new websites, but I, I, I'm interested there in terms of the marketing side of things. Are you, are you then involved in upkeeping of websites, of doing little bits and pieces uh, for them? Or do you hand over and say, no, it's, it's your job, you get on with it? It's a bit of both, actually. So some clients that have larger marketing teams and they need ongoing support because they're implementing new things constantly or just want to have that extra support, I'm available for that for, for most of my clients. But primarily the sites that I'm building, I do a website training session. We go over the Webflow editor. They know how to input content and, and they go in their merry way. So I'm, I'm usually only involved when they need a new section or something's not working, that kind of thing. But there are a few clients that I'm more involved in their marketing strategy and just understanding their larger marketing goals and how the website plays into that. Okay. So do, uh, do you charge retainers for that or do you just charge a, a lump sum when they when they need a, a big project and the rest of the time it's just it's just free <laughs> yeah so some are hourly so if someone needs just like one edition and they haven't really needed anything before that or or don't plan to after it'll just be an hourly charge based on how long it takes me to do the edition i do have a couple clients on monthly retainers to do kind of website updates and analytics and that kind of thing and then obviously things like if there's a button that's not linked or something goes wrong that's very very small i include those kind of edits in just the customer service of building a website and so yeah. small things like that i'm always just happy to change for free yeah okay okay grace you've obviously got a, a really great little business there Everything's organized. You've got your recurring clients. You've got your new clients coming in. I saw a tweet that said you're booked up until January. So that's, that's great. Have you thought about getting somebody in to help you, an intern or, or somebody full-time or, or part-time? Yeah. So this is something that I go back and forth on quite a lot. And I think 
it's the advice that everyone's been giving me on Twitter and in, in real life to expand my team. And because so many people have told me that, it's something that I've I've really heavily considered. But the reason that I haven't done that as of yet is that I feel really committed to being a company of one, at least for the next year. I've been listening to Company of One, the book, in the last little bit. And so it's it's been this internal struggle because I've been a part of a team and I really like being on my own. And the reason I haven't scaled that is because with scaling a team comes a lot more work with admin, with HR stuff, yes. with just yeah. project management, making sure that the quality is high. And I think those things can be worth it in a lot of senses. And I, I see other teams that have had a lot of success with that. My goal for my business is to have a calm business, is to work from home. I don't have great aspirations of having a large team and, and scaling massively and doing $200,000 websites. That's just not where I see yeah. my business going. So, and I think that's okay. I think that the choice, yeah, the choice that I've made to be a company of one and to at least stick with that for the next year is is something that's really important to me. It feels like the right choice right now. And it doesn't mean that I'm never going to add to my yeah. team, but right now I really want to focus on building my craft, making sure I have solid processes in place so that if I do want to add someone to my team, it's going to be not only a good experience for me to have help, but it will be a good experience for them to be a part of something that's organized and thoughtful and that they get a lot of value out of. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been working with an intern for the last few months and she's just been absolutely great, but she comes from a design background and I don't, and she wanted to learn Webflow. So it's, it's been a really good fit that she's brought her design skills and I've taught her Webflow and, and that's worked really, really well. And I, and I think the next person I would want would be somebody to organize me, somebody <laughs> to, to fill in the Asana for me so that I know what, what I'm supposed to be working on today and somebody to do the invoicing and stuff. Cause that's, that stuff. I just absolutely hate it, but you've got it down, organized, sorted. It's uh, so yeah, in that sense, you probably don't need anybody. Yeah. So I have been trying to convince my partner to come work with me. So I'll, I'll oh, really? see if oh, that right. ever happens. Yeah, I've been <laughs> trying to convince him to come help me with some of my admin work, but we'll, we'll see if that goes anywhere. But no, I think at some point I would love to work with a junior designer when I'm, when I'm at that point that I'm ready for it, but um, just not right now. You were working for an agency. You decided to become freelance. Tips would you give to somebody who's thinking of, of stepping out, becoming freelancer, especially from a design perspective? And moving into Webflow. Yeah, I think it's it's never going to feel like the perfect time. I think I thought about going freelance for quite a long time and just like what my next step was going to be when I was working at a small studio. And it was something that I had obviously been thinking about for a while. And in my case, it was kind of pushed on by the pandemic. And so I felt a real urge to get my portfolio together and all that. And my work at the studio had kind of slowed down at that point in time. And as I started to do freelance work and work at the studio, I was doing both at the same time. I, I realized that I quite enjoyed freelance work and I enjoyed communicating with clients and doing the account management and, and all of that kind of stuff as well. So yeah. when it came time to make that decision, kind of permanent. It it was something that I just figured I, I need to give myself a chance to do this. I had been at a, at a small studio for three years. And so I started there right when I was out of university and I had never known yeah. another kind of like professional creative environment. And I learned so much at that studio. It was owned by two women. They're fantastic. They were such 
amazing mentors to me and to just witness how their business friends and their relationship and their clients, all of that was fantastic. And so having that example set for me and just in my city, there's so many women who own their own business in a creative capacity, whether that's agencies or other studios. I just, I see a lot of women in my city in that position. So that, that was quite inspiring as well. And I figured, you know what, it's, it's, it's never going to be the right time. I know I can design a website. I know that I can build a website. I'm feel like I'm organized. And so it was really just taking that leap and believing in myself and thinking, you know what, I'm going to give this a year and see if I like it, A, because <laughs> I could have tried it and thought, oh gosh, I hate this. I don't like being responsible for everything. Yeah. But what I found instead was that I really enjoy the responsibility of, of an entire project of that client relationship. If I make a mistake, it's entirely on me. And I find a bit of comfort in that and that my choices and decisions are not going to poorly reflect on anyone else. It's, it's just my own. And so not that I make a lot of mistakes, but I think that that's, that's something important when you're going into freelancing is understanding the, the responsibility that you have, not only to yourself and to your business, but to your clients and to go into that relationship with, with authenticity and wanting the best for someone else and really wanting to be a partner in someone else's business. Okay. So if there's a designer listening and thinking about moving out of an agency that they're working for and they're thinking, okay, I've been using WordPress. I've been using other, other bits and pieces. What, why is Webflow the way to go for a one person agency design develop agency? Yeah. Webflow changed my life. And I think it's the only reason that I'm freelancing, frankly. Um, (laughs) I think the reason why Webflow is so perfect for freelancers and small uh, agencies or or one or two person groups is that you have so much control over not only the design, because obviously you're doing that however you do it, Figma, XD, et cetera, but you can then control that in the development process. And so the efficiency that's had by designing something and then also being able to develop it and then also being able to implement the feedback, you're not having those, if you're using an external developer, you're not having those conversations about, hello, can you please make this 16 pixel thing 20 pixels? And then you go yeah. back and forth on a color code forever and it just like, it's horrible. Um, but even with WordPress, I think it's just an efficiency standpoint. It's Webflow reflects a lot of the way I think about design. And so that's, that's been quite helpful. Yeah, I think there is just, it's, it's really just the efficiency, I think is the number one. And then also design control. I like to tell clients that we can build anything with Webflow yes. visually, like any kind of structure, any kind of layering that we want to do, like visually, your website can be anything that you want. And yeah. as a designer, I don't have those coding abilities to be able to, to do that in WordPress or another platform. But Webflow is just a visual expression of that. And so it makes so yeah. much more sense in my mind. And I, and I really enjoy it for that. Yeah, I've, I've just realized, I've just thought that uh, you probably want to get into using the, the blending tools as well, won't you? With, you know, getting those, those you've, you've got those bicycle collages and stuff. And I can see <laughs> that kind of collage work that you will set up for, for hero sections and, and things like that. I'm really excited about the blending yeah. modes. I haven't yeah. used them yet. I've used the background blur on a project recently, but yeah. yeah, I haven't used them yet, but I'm very excited about that. And that and that's always the problem, isn't it? That there's never enough time to keep to keep learning as a freelancer. You you've you've got to 
you've got to keep producing good quality content, but then you've also got, if you're not careful, after three years, you're, you're still producing the same websites and you're not moving <laughs> on your skills. So that's, that's yeah. a bit of a, an issue as well. I don't I know how, you, how you're going to solve that one. Yeah, I think something that's important there too is that every project that I take on, I really try and add something new to it. So whether it's okay. a new layout that I've not done before or a new kind of button or a new kind of blending mode or like some kind of new treatment yeah. to something so yeah. that every project that I'm building, there's a little aspect of like, I don't really know how to do that yet, but okay. this will force me to learn it. Yeah. No, that's 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 a, just a great way of learning. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, and Webflow lets you do that, lets you play. You can see immediately what it's going to look like, how it's going to work out. And uh, if it doesn't work, well, that's fine. You can throw it away and, and go back to Figma and figure out a different way of doing something. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Grace, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely talking to you. I hope our listeners have uh, something to think about while they're working in Webflow and thinking about being freelancers. If you have a, a question for Grace or in general for the Webflowers podcast, uh, go to webflowerspodcast.com and choose the appropriate button. Thank you once again, Grace. See you all next time. Thank you. I mean, the, the, the problem with uh, getting your, your partner involved is that then he'll find out how much you're earning. <laughs> oh, we, we're very open. <laughs> <laughs>